What's driving all the violence and chaos in the Middle East right now? Haven't you heard? It's the age-old conflict between the Sunnis and the Shias. Well, actually, that's a myth. The truth is it's about power, not piety, and it's a very recent phenomenon, not an ancient one. We're talking 40 years, not 14 centuries. It really all started in the late 1970s with the rise of petro-power Saudi Arabia on the Sunni side and revolutionary power Iran on the Shia side. It ramped up with the US invasion of Iraq in 2003, and it's been out of control since Bashar al-Assad went to war with his own people in Syria in 2011. So politics, politics, politics. Syria, remember, didn't start off as a sectarian conflict. It was young people protesting against abuses by security forces. It was part of the Arab Spring. Even today, the Russians, for example, aren't bombing Syria because they care about who succeeded the Prophet back in 632 AD. Meanwhile, Shia Iran backs Alawite Assad not because of long-standing theological ties, but because of geopolitics. He's their only Arab ally. After all, the Alawites were only deemed to be an offshoot of the Shias around 40 years ago. Oh, and Iran has also spent the past two decades backing Sunni Hamas, not just Shia Hezbollah. So much for ancient hatreds. Then there's Libya, where it's not Sunni against Shia, it's Sunni against Sunni. And of course, Yemen too, where supposedly it's Sunni government forces versus Shia Houthi rebels. Yet the Shias in Yemen are called Zaydis, and Zaydis aren't actually that dissimilar to Sunnis in their beliefs. As a US diplomatic cable from Yemen released by WikiLeaks pointed out, members of the two sects often pray in the same mosques and practice many of the same customs. So a lot of this Sunni-Shia conflict narrative is just a product of lazy, simplistic, cliched journalism, which not only allows a whole host of Western governments to avoid responsibility for a mess in the Middle East that they helped create, but also glosses over the fact that yes, ISIL wants to kill every Shia it can lay its hands on, but most Muslims just want to get along with each other and aren't buying into the ISIL narrative. To talk incessantly and sweepingly of a global Sunni-Shia conflict completely ignores political alliances, lifelong friendships, and yes, love stories too. The Middle East's a complicated place, and the violence there has far more to do with power grabs, identity politics, tribal splits, economic grievances, and foreign military interventions than theological differences. We're not witnessing a Sunni-Shia religious war. Well, not yet. It might well turn into an unresolvable, intractable sectarian conflict, though, if we keep treating it as if it is one. Prior to the Paris attacks, I spoke with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, one of America's leading Muslim scholars who's been at the forefront of efforts to counter the ISIL narrative and stop young Muslims in the US from going out to join what he calls the nut jobs. I began by asking him how worried he is about the allure and appeal of groups like ISIL to Muslims living in the West. You know, I personally, I don't think their influence is anywhere near as widespread as people think it is. I think the vast majority of Muslims in the United States are very opposed to ISIS. The FBI are pretty worried, though, of course. They say 200 Americans have gone out to fight for militant groups in Syria, including ISIL. And here in the U.S., between May and July of this year alone, they arrested and charged, I think, 25 people with connections to ISIL and other banned groups. In 2014, they arrested and charged 20 people over the whole year, 25 in just three months. Out of over 10 million people, that's still a highly insignificant number, Mehdi, and I think you should be aware of that. Um, I, there is a concern, it's a security concern, but don't forget also that some of these people are actually not going to join ISIS, but they're going to join what they consider to be a legitimate opposition in Syria. And so I think, you know, th they're being lumped in as one group, but the truth is there are, there are a lot of different factions in Syria 
uh, that are fighting, and some of them are actually supported by uh, NATO uh, states. Those are both very fair points. Uh, you gave a khutbah, a sermon, in September 2014, uh, condemning ISIL uh, using Islamic scripture, uh, sayings from the Prophet Muhammad, and it went viral online. Let's hear a clip from that sermon. There's confusion. We have people in this country going overseas. It is hard to believe, but there's people going to join up, to join the Khilafah. This is a madness, complete insanity. My question is this, why are they going out there, the ones who are going to join ISIL? Uh, what's the reasoning in your view? Is it merely an issue of mental health, of insanity, or is it something within Islam? Is it a uh, problem of so-called Islamist ideology, or is it a foreign policy issue, or is it young people looking for identity? I think, Mehdi, you've summed up, I think, a lot of the factors here. Some of it is definitely mental health issues. I think there really is more mental health in a lot of these, I mean, we had a man who flew an airplane into an IRS building after writing a political screed, and yet he wasn't called a terrorist or politically motivated, he was called mentally ill. There are many examples of people doing these things in the United States, and they're always classified as mentally ill people, and yet when Muslims do insane things, and, and many of these things are actually quite insane, they're categorized as terrorists. So I think there's a, we have a double standard, but undeniably there are certain people that it's been uh, a kind of romanticized version of this idea of the caliphate and the restoration of the caliphate after its uh, fall in 1922 or 24, depending on which, uh, uh, which uh, time limit you're gonna look at in, in Ottoman Turkey history. But the, the fact is that the, the, the group ISIS emerged as a response to a lot of the Shia atrocities of militia against Sunni villagers. And yet, at the same time, as you say yourself, there is a romanticization of this ideology of a caliphate. Uh, there is clear uh, sectarian hate. They're not just killing Shias, they're killing Christians, they're killing Yazidis. How do you tackle that core ideological uh, uh, bent for some of these fighters out there? You have two factors here. One of them is, is a takfiri ideology, this idea of anathematizing Muslims, of considering Muslims to be outside of the faith. That's one issue. Then you have this uh, provincialism, this attitude towards uh, Christians and Jews and Yazidis and other peoples that Muslims historically have lived in peace with and protected and preserved their churches, their synagogues. This is one of the first times in Muslim history where these atrocities have been committed against religious minorities. So the idea that this has something to do with normative Islam is not acceptable. But as you know, we're living at a time when Islam is whatever anybody who wants to says it is. This is the kind of nominalist uh, attitude that a lot of uh, modern people have. I don't think we can say completely that it has nothing to do with Islam. Obviously, these people are motivated by scripture, which is clear in their uh, publications and things like that. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a type of Protestantism, and I'm not talking about modern Protestantism. I'm talking about when the Protestants revolted against Catholic tradition. This created the religious wars of the 17th and 18th centuries. You have a lot of people opening the Quran, finding verses in there that can be decontextualized or completely misunderstood just like you can in the Bible, and, and these are, unfortunately, these are, these are the uh, realities of the age that we're living in. You mentioned um, Protestants and the revolt of the 17th century, 18th century. Are you, I mean, many critics of Islam say that Islam needs to undergo a reformation. You sound like you're saying it's already in the middle of a reformation, and that's part of the problem. 
Yeah, we are in a ref this is the Reformation. These people that say Islam needs a Reformation have never read Christian history. This is the Reformation. What we need is a Council of Trent. We need a counter-Reformation. These are the reformists. This is the fruit of, of Reformation. Can you have a counter-reformation in which you don't go after, you mentioned Tukfiri ideology, others call it a violent Salafist ideology, many people say it's the Saudi brand of Islam. Can you have that counter-reformation without scholars such as yourself being willing to come out and take on the beliefs and the scholars behind those beliefs from which groups like ISIL draw comfort? You have to have uh, scholars that are really deeply rooted in the Islamic tradition. We're not living in the pre-modern times. We're living in a completely different period. And it's not reforming or changing Islam. It's actually taking the tools of the religious tradition and revitalizing them. So in that way, it's renewal, which our prophet talked about, renovation, what's called tajdeed in the Arabic language. So we need renovation, which is not to destroy the house and rebuild a new house, but to restore the dereliction of the house, to restore it to, to, uh, so that it's functioning, that you turn on the, the faucets and water comes out. You flush the toilet. There's a lot of toilets need to be flushed. I want to play another clip from that sermon of yours uh, from September 2014. The people of knowledge have no voice anymore. It's just all these young boys out there on, on Google. That, that's who now uh, rules this religion. Young boys. Isn't the problem, Sheikh Hamza, that you're not getting through to that particular group of young men and women who are tempted by an extremist narrative, a takfiri narrative, a Salafist narrative, whatever you want to call it? Well, Mehdi, part of the problem is, is that there are so many egregious wrongs in the Muslim world. And I know people don't like to hear this card, they, the, the grievance card. But the reality of it is, if you go online, you can watch the types of videos where atrocities are committed against Muslims on, on an almost daily basis, and nobody speaks up against it. There's a lot of young people that really feel incredibly frustrated, and if we don't find healthy vehicle, healthy means by which they can, can express some, some type of outrage in a way that's productive, conducive to civil society, to actually redress some of the wrongs that are out there. If they don't find ways to do that, there are people, demagogues and others out there that will manipulate the, 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 the emotions of youth. People are frustrated. You talk about frustration. I want to ask you about something else, another aspect of frustration. Um, is it true that you said at a recent seminar here in Washington, D.C., that guys who turn to violence do so because they're sexually frustrated, that the real reason they decide to get involved in terrorism is because they, quote, are watching pornography 24 hours a day? Were you really being serious there? You know, look, I, I said that with some hyperbole. But the truth is, I think there is, I, I have something which, which, which I call the defilement theory of terrorism. And I think that some of these men definitely do. They go to the West, they sow their wild oats, they, they, they get this kind of uh, realization that they've been uh, tainted, polluted, and then they, they want to, they, they have this born again experience. This is, I think, more common than people realize. There is undoubtedly a great deal of Islamophobia in the West, in the United States. And at the same time, surely you'd accept that a lot of Americans switch on the TV, watch the news, they see the headlines, they see groups in Nigeria, in Libya, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Iraq, in Syria, beheading and butchering innocent women and children in the name of Islam. The biggest group calls itself the Islamic State. Surely you'd accept that poses a PR problem at the very minimum for Muslims living in America. 
Malcolm X in 1964 said the Muslims are suffering from a major public relations problem. He said that in the autobiography. But, and, and I would say, look, I'd, all those things are true, but remember, one out of every four people on this planet, Mehdi, is a Muslim. We represent 1.6 billion people and rising. You cannot take these statistically insignificant numbers out there and, and extrapolate from that that somehow Islam is an evil religion. The Ku Klux Klan at one point had over 5 million members. The Ku Klux Klan was a Christian terrorist organization in the United States that terrorized African Americans. So people have to put things in perspective, and I really think that people fail to put these things into perspective, my friend. Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, thanks for joining me on Upfront. That's our show. Upfront will be back in the new year.